Praise God. Happy New Year. Happy 2021. Good to have you with us. My wife and I are excited to be back, and uh, we are excited about what God has in store for us here in 2021. Thank you, guys. We cannot thank you enough for you guys uh, standing strong and your support, your love, your prayers during this really hard time for us. But God is good, and uh, He is on the move here at Desert Breeze Community Church. Praise God. Thank you. I love you guys. Nancy and I love you guys very much. And so thank you for being here this weekend. Wholeness in a Broken World. That's the title of this series. We're heading into the new year. You're going to get a chance a little bit of what, uh, to kind of see what God's been doing in, in, in our lives, Nancy and I, and hopefully He's doing in your lives also. But Wholeness in a Broken World, we're going to talk about brokenness this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're looking at verse 7 through 10. Those are the verses that were just read. And also grab your sermon notes out. You can follow along there on the intro. We live in a very beautiful world in so many ways, but yet it's also very broken. We live in a very broken world filled with sin and suffering. When I talk about sin and suffering, I'm talking about the sins that we've committed and also the sins that have been committed against us. That's the world we live in. And, and so none of us are exempt to this brokenness in this world. And then you have a year like 2020 that, that seems to exacerbate our brokenness. So the question is, how are you going to respond? That year is over. We're moving into a new year. Yeah, praise God for that, huh? And we got now a brand new year brand new start, how are you going to respond? You really only have two, two choices when it comes to brokenness. We all experience brokenness in our lives. So how are you going to respond? You can respond in one of two ways. You can see the chart there on your notes and also up on the big screen behind me. And um, you can take the high road or the low road. So when you go through brokenness, when you take hits in life, you can take the high road or the low road. By the way, you can be so broken and it can so accumulate in your life, it, it, it may, I mean, it's going to be supernatural for you to take the high road anyway, but the default mode in the human heart because of our sinful nature is that we want to take the low road, especially if we're interacting with somebody that's already taken that low road. We'll want to take that low road with them. But it's very supernatural for you to take the high road. This kind of shows you where we're going to be going over the next few weeks and so we all have this in common, we're broken, and if we take the, the high road truth, what does that mean? That means that how do we deal with the negative thoughts and emotions in our life? We, we need to respond to it with the truth of God's Word and the truth of who God is and who we are in Him. Otherwise, if we don't take that place of truth, we're going to be, you know, overwhelmed with the, the lies that are all around us about God, about us, about our circumstances. But it tells us in John 8, 31 and 32, if you continue in my word, this is what Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will do what? It will bring freedom. Man, I, I want freedom in my life. So out of my brokenness, if I can respond and begin to understand the truth, God's truth can bring freedom. That will bring forgiveness, not only the forgiveness that He offers me in the sins that I've committed, but then I'm able to fill up my heart and then offer forgiveness to others. To the degree that I receive His forgiveness, to the degree that I'm able to offer that forgiveness to others. And then, of course, that's the road of, of love and then healthy relationships in life. 
But then the, the low road is lies, unforgiveness, bitterness, broken relationships, and death. That, that's our world, by the way. For the most part, most people are on that low road in our culture today. And that's just kind of by default, that's the road that we typically uh, fall to or follow as a result of our brokenness. Now, now what's interesting is that people that are on the high road actually at, at some point begin to feel bad for those that are on the low road. Even if you're interacting with somebody and they're on the low road, if you're on the high road, you actually pity them. You actually feel bad for them because that low road... <clears throat> It's self-condemning. It's a self-condemning path. It's a destructive path. And uh, Romans 12, 21, it says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. That's the high road. So it's so easy to be overcome by evil. Somebody's relating to us from the low road, and we want to go right into that with them. That's a really horrible way to uh, respond to them. We want to take that high road but it's supernatural to take that high road. And so you might find yourself going back and forth between the high road, low road in those relationships. And that's, part of that's okay because you're making those course corrections, kind of working through that. We all are sinners by nature and by choice. We struggle with that. And so finish this sentence, if you would. Uh, hurt people hurt people. That's not a bumper sticker. That's reality. But healed people heal people. I want us here at Desert Breeze to be (laughs) healed and set free. So no matter the degree of our brokenness, God wants to bring healing to our life and that's so that we would be a source of healing to to others. That's what God has in store for us. That's what He's doing. And so we're going to look this morning, you can see there on your notes, we're going to look at the priority of the inner life. So when we talk about brokenness, we're talking really about our inner life. And so how can we have wholeness in our lives, in our inner, inner lives? And so let's talk about the priority of the inner life, the complexity of the inner life, and then the healing for our inner life. It's all found in this text. This text really gives us good insight on that. So let's take, first of all, the priority of the inner life. That's based on verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not of us. Let's just take that sentence just for a moment. So he says jars of clay uh, or clay pots. If you go to Home Depot, you can buy a clay pot. You put flowers in those clay pots. If you're walking out into the parking lot with that clay pot and you stumble and you drop that clay pot, what will happen to that clay pot? It will shatter. It will just go all to pieces. But if you maybe make it, to, make it home, you put the plant in there and you bump it, it could crack. It's, they're, they're very fragile. So he says we have this treasure in jars of clay, these clay pots. Uh, jars of clay are clay pots is common Bible metaphor for human weakness. So what he's telling us right up front is, yes, we are all cracked pots. That's true. We are. And so we're very fragile. Life is fragile. And yet we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have a treasure. So you may treasure your family or your singleness or your friends or your marriage or your job or your children or your home, your car, your accomplishments, your achievements. That's good. That's good that you treasure those things. But there is no treasure like this treasure that he's talking about. 
We have an amazing treasure. And what is that treasure? Well, anytime you read a text, you always want to read it in the context that it's written. So you go back to the previous verse, verse 7, look at verse 6. So verse 7 is, we have this treasure in jars of clay. So what is this treasure? Verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the word knowledge there in that, it means it's not just information, it's actually intimacy, intimacy of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He's talking about intimacy with God. I mean, think about that. We have intimacy with God. As, as the gospel shines bright into our hearts, we are able to, by grace through faith in Christ, enter into intimacy with God. But it's more than intimacy. We also know, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says your body individually is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. That's the treasure that we have. We have the presence of God dwelling within us individually, but it also tells us corporately. 1 Corinthians 3.16, we corporately are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells within us. That's amazing. I mean, just take, take that and, and meditate on it throughout the day. That's powerful in itself. Here's your first fill in the blank on your notes. Now, we're talking about the priority of the inner life. And so what matters most is not what you have, your possessions, or do, your performance, or what people think, your popularity, but what matters most is the person you become. That's the inner life. It's the person that you become. It's not, it's not your outer life, your circumstances, but your inner life, your character that matters, that matters most. Now, when most people are asked about how they are doing, they often think of their outer life, what they have, what they do, what people say, their possessions, their performance, their popularity. That's typically what we go to. We often think that improving our outer life is what will make us happy. If you were to ask most people what will make you happy, it's something it would have to do with their outer life. And so my outer life is the visible me that is easy to focus on and keep score, but my inner life is the invisible me that is easy to neglect and be ignored. I mean, that's, what, that's where most people live. We ignore the inner life. It's all about the outer life. And that's why we see the mess around us in our country today. It's all about the outer life. Very little emphasis on the inner life. And so here's your next, uh, next fill in the blank. So the secret is Christ in me. The secret is Christ in me. There's our treasure. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of wholeness. Now, one of many of my favorite psalms is Psalm 73, and the reason for that is because I've struggled with what this psalmist was struggling with. Psalm 73, this, uh, this psalmist is struggling with envy. I've struggled with envy in my life. And, uh, and he's struggling with envy because he's looking out on the landscape of where he lives and he begins to see that th these godly, these ungodly people, these wicked people, they're prosperous and they're really healthy. They have no problems with their health. They're, they're successful in all their external life in so many different ways. And he's struggling with that. He's saying, God, 
here, I'm, I'm a follower of yours, and I know you, and, and your people are struggling. I don't know if you've ever struggled with, with that, um, but I, I certainly have, and even more than that, as it relates to other dimensions of my life where I've had envy as I look to people's lives, and I go, what? They don't follow you like I follow you. And they, they seem to have no problems in their life. What's amazing about this psalm, it's a long psalm, Psalm 73, when you get to the half of the psalm, the first hard part of the psalm is just he's really struggling, and then all of a sudden something happens, and he goes into the sanctuary of God. Bam! It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's overwhelming. He has an encounter with God, and he has a whole new perspective. He has this eternal perspective. And then as he, as he kind of processes that, it's really breathtaking, the words that he uses, and then he gets to the end of the psalm, and he says, he says this, says these words, these are beautiful words, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail me, but you are the strength of my heart, my portion forever. And then he ends the psalm, verse 28, but as for me, it is good to be near God. <laughs> He's just like, oh, now I realize what I have in you. It's nothing compared to what they have. It's so much more. It's so much more than what they have. It's almost as if he's saying this. There is a life I have in you that all the success in this world can't give me and all the suffering in this world can't take from me. So, if your inner life is healthy, no external circumstance can destroy your life. Did you hear that? So if your inner life is healthy, no external circumstance can destroy your life. If your inner life is unhealthy, no external circumstance can redeem your life. So your outer life, your circumstances actually matter far less to your happiness than, than you think. It is the health of your inner life, your character that makes life heaven or hell. So here's the last idea under this thought of the priority of the inner life. The neglected inner life doesn't go away, it goes astray. It doesn't just go away. So, so if you take hits in life, if you don't process those hits, they accumulate over time. And they will come after you, believe me. Listen to what it says in, in Mark 8.36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, that's the outer life, possessions, performance, popularity, and forfeit his soul, that's the inner life. Now let me just talk a little bit about the, uh, the snowball effect um, that my wife and I have experienced in 30 years of ministry. We've taken a lot of hits. And here was our mindset for, for many years, and it was a wrong kind of mindset, and I don't want you to fall prey to this, this crazy mindset. We just thought, well, that's just ministry. That's life. That's just the way it goes in church. Church life is hard. It's difficult. So you take some hard hits, and what do you do? You just shake it off, you get back up, and you keep going. The problem with that is that there's a snowball effect that it can accumulate over time, and it can take you out if you're not learning how to process each of those hits and work through those, which in the coming weeks, that's exactly what we're gonna do. I'm gonna show you what Nancy and I have been doing through the years and through counseling and through a lot of reading and a lot of study of God's word, what God has done in our lives to help us to process that stuff. 
My voice is shot after this weekend. I, I used up my voice last night and then this morning, and then uh, I'm going to use it all the way out this service. But uh, it's been a great weekend for us. But this snowball effect, I don't want you to fall prey to that because if you don't deal with your junk as you get older, your junk will deal with you, believe me. And we'll talk more about that through this series. How do you deal with that? I know some of you have taken hits, and, and some of you probably haven't really processed that, those hits well. And so what's happening is that they don't go away. They're going to lead you astray. They're going to come down on you, and they're going to hurt you in some way. So you've got to process that stuff. You've got to work through it. And God offers healing. He wants to heal us. But we've got to learn how to process and work through that stuff so that we can find that, that path of healing. Now, let's talk about the complexity of the inner life. So that's the priority of the inner life. The complexity of the inner life, based on verses 8 through 9. And he says, we are afflicted in every way. Notice he doesn't say, we may be afflicted in every way. (laughs) I wish he said, we may be. He doesn't. He says, we will. We are. This is happening. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, these were... These verses here of this text, and I'll be sharing with you more of these, I mean, this is part of uh, my and Nancy's arsenal of soul care verses. I mean, we have built an arsenal of verses over the last couple of months that have been so helpful for us. This is one of many. Um, these other verses uh, that we've been studying that I just shared with you from Psalm 73, 25, and 26 are some of those those arsenal verses of soul care as God's helped us and continue to work in our lives. And so what we need to understand from verses 8 through 9, the complexity of the inner life, the inner life is not one-dimensional but multidimensional. So our tendency is that when we're broken in life, we tend to think that there's like a kind of a magic pill or a silver bullet that if I just do that, then everything will be okay. Well, that's not true. It's multidimensional. And uh, so we often kind of go to our emotional side and think, man, if I, could just, if I could just have more of God's love, then everything would be better. And, and maybe that's the case. You do need more of God's love. Or you might think psychologically, I just need to think more positive thoughts. I'm just bombarded with all these negative thoughts. Or you may be thinking socially, man, I need to get a whole new small group because these people that I'm hanging out with are Job's miserable comforters, man. I'm telling you. These guys beat me up every time I get into this group. I need a more positive group. I need some more positive friends. And that that might be the case. Or it might be spiritual. I need to start studying God's Word and reading His Word more. Or it could be, we could also add to that physiological. Maybe you need to start exercising and you need to watch your diet and get more rest at night. Or maybe there could be some brain chemistry. Maybe, Maybe medicine may help. Now, it can be all of those or any number of those, but don't ever look at any one of those as if they're kind of the magic, magic bullet or the solution. It's, it really involves all of those, but it's even all of those plus something much deeper, and we'll get to that in a little bit in our study. There's something that goes even deeper than that that we have to deal with. But he's dealing with all of these in this text. Here's the first one, pressures of life. Emotionally, how many have ever gone on vacation, got a good night of sleep or whatever, and you're rested maybe physically, but emotionally, you're still tapped out. So you can have it, you know, get all the rest in the world 
physically, but still emotionally. Oh my goodness, you're, ex- you're wiped out. This is what we're talking about here. He says in verse 8a, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Literally, the word afflicted means hard-pressed in every way. I don't know if you had the, the science experiments of the collapsing can in high school, but where you take a, maybe a, a tin can, and when you change the, the pressure on the outside, the outside pressure becomes greater than the inside pressure of the can. What happens to the can? It collapses. That's our lives. And that's what he's saying. Afflicted in every way. Hard-pressed in every di- different direction in our lives. But not crushed. So we have the pressures of decisions and demands and deadlines and school and job and bills and family and marriage and children and health, traffic, all the negative consequences of COVID-19, church problems, and then even physiological, diet, exercise, rest, brain chemistry issues, all pressing in. We are hard-pressed in every way, but not crushed. Isn't that interesting? He says, but not crushed. Why is that? Next fill in the blank, because of God's power. We have God's power. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Do you hear that? How many are familiar with that verse? That's a great verse. That's an amazing verse. Did you know, no matter how great the pressure is on the outside, you still have a greater power on the inside. You have greater power, God's power on the inside. In fact, it tells us, Romans 8, 11, if the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, which is true if you're a Christian, you have resurrection power that dwells within you. So as you face all the pressures of life, his power is greater than any pressures you will ever face. Here's the next one. Then you've got, so you've got not only the pressures of life that can create brokenness, but you have the perplexities of life. This, this deals more with our or psychology, psychologically. Notice it says in verse 8b, perplexed but not driven to despair. What does that mean to be perplexed? It means to be confused, filled with doubt and uncertainty. How many look back in your life and you can see maybe a circumstance or two, at least one, where you look back on it even to this day and you're still confused and have doubt and uncertainty about why that even happened or what went down in that situation. Show of hands. Yeah. So he's actually saying, you will have this. There will be times in your life where where you you will be perplexed, confusion, doubt, and uncertainty, and yet not driven to despair. The word despair means hopelessness, despondency, and depression. Even in the midst of that perplexity, it's like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. No, no, why would that be true? Why, why can we actually claim that, not driven to despair? So let me ask you this question. Did you pass the test, the 2020 test? Did you? It, it, that was a test, by the way. And there'll be more tests coming maybe in 2021. Did you pass the test of what I'm asking you? Are you stronger? Are you wiser? Are you deeper? Are you more intimate with God? Do you have a greater capacity of love for him and for others? That would be passing the test. That would be, yeah, that's exactly what God is up to. You will be perplexed, but you don't need to be driven to despair and suffering. Why? Because of God's purpose. That's your next fill in the blank. That's the answer. We have God's purpose. 
So now listen to me. No matter how difficult it gets, no, how, no matter the suffering you may face, you don't need to be driven to despair. Even though you're perplexed, you don't need to be driven to despair. That's what he's saying. Because we know what God is up to. How do we know what God is up to? Well, well, this, first of all, we know this, that suffering for a believer is not punitive, it's, it's purifying. Oftentimes when people go through suffering, they're a young Christian, they'll go, is God punishing me? And I say, no. All of that punishment was placed on Christ. He's not punishing you, but he's purifying you. <laughs> and, and, and so what does that mean? Here's what it means. This is what he's up to. This is what he was up to in 2020. This is what he will be up to in 2021. No matter what you face, this is what he's doing. This is the purpose that you can know so that when you're perplexed, you're not driven to despair. You're not driven to hopelessness, despondency, and depression. Here's what he's up to. I I put them on your notes. James 1, 2, 3, 4. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of many kinds, knowing this, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces perseverance, patience, endurance. So let endurance have its perfect work in you so that you might be complete and perfect, not lacking in anything. He's making you tougher. He's wanting you to be stronger. He's wanting you to become more like his son, whole, perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. That's what he's up to. So when I'm going through suffering, he's wanting me to become whole? Yes. He's using that to drive your heart deeper into him. But what else is he up to? Well, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can in turn comfort others in their troubles with the same comfort that we have received from God. Do you hear that? The greater the the misery that you go through, the greater the ministry you have to help others. God will recycle that pain, the difficulties, the hardship in your life so that you can be a source of love and encouragement and hope to others. He, He wants to use that in your life. The best comforters are those that have been comforted by God through their difficulties. You can come alongside of others and help them and point them back to him. But there's another thing that he's up to. So he's wanting you to become whole and become more like Christ, but he's also wanting to use you to make an impact in other people's lives. But here's the third thing, and we could add many more to this. But it's, it's Genesis 50-20. It's the 50-20 perspective. Genesis 50-20 is the, is the Old Testament Romans 8-28. You guys know what Romans 8.28 is? For we know that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And, and so this, this, is the, this is the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. If you're familiar with the story, I'm sure many of you are, Joseph was stripped of his clothes, thrown in a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery through providential hand of God. He's become second in command of all of Egypt. His perpetrators show up, his brothers show up, and you know that he's on the high road because he's allowed God to bring healing to his life. 
And so he looks his perpetrators in the eyes. He's not in denial about the reality of how they hurt him and abused him. But he looks his perpetrators in the eyes and he says these words, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good for what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Pretty powerful. So what was God up to in 2020 at Desert Breeze Community Church? Well, I know this, the enemy intended to harm us, but God intended it for good for the saving of many lives through Desert Breeze Community Church in 2021 and beyond. That's what he is up to. I'm telling you, what the enemy, when he's trying to take you out, God's going to use that even more so for you to reach more people with the gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So you, as we said, you, you may be perplexed. You don't need to be driven to despair because you know God's purpose for your life. So you got the pressures, perplexities of life, and now, oh boy, you got the people. You got the people in, in your life socially. There's that social dimension of our brokenness that we struggle with. It says in verse 9a, persecuted but not forsaken. The word persecuted can mean slander, false accusations, betrayal, malice, wrath, but not forsaken. I love what Pastor Jim Bull said last weekend. He said, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. Yeah. I mean, we could add to that. Life, family, church, work would be great if it weren't for the people. So, so my question is, I've, as I was walking through this, why does it hurt so bad when someone betrays us or slanders us or any number of things? Why, why is that so deep? Why is it so devastating? Why do we so often feel forsaken, deep and devastating, almost unhealable wounds out of relationships? Why would it drive some people to say, well, if that's how church is, I'll never go back to church again. I've met a lot of people like that. Or if that's how small groups are, I don't want to get close to anybody. If that's how marriage is, forget that. What would drive someone to, to, to say that? What's going on? Because he actually says you're persecuted, but not forsaken. Let me illustrate this here just a minute to help us kind of dive a little deeper into this. Have you noticed that there seems to be more dating websites now than ever before? You guys ever noticed that? No? Not like I've been visiting any of these dating websites, but, <laughs> but they, they've been popping up on YouTube and I don't know why they're popping up on my, my YouTube channel, but uh, that's just kind of crazy. But I had one not too long ago pop up, and it was soulmate.com, soulmate.com. I understand what they're saying, and a lot of those, uh, those dating websites will, will kind of almost like, hey, you want to find your soulmate? You want to find the one that will ultimately complete you? You know, that's kind of the idea. Nobody would go to a website titled cellmate.com, okay? <laughs> Nobody would do that. It's always soulmate.com or something along those lines. In the movie, uh, the movie Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise's character expresses the idea unforgettably to Renee Zellweger. Three words. You guys remember what the three words were that he spoke to her? Uh, turn to the person next to you and see if they know what those three words were. Real quick, real quick. So you guys know what those three words were? Did you turn to the person next to you and say, you complete me? That was kind of odd, wasn't it? If that's what you said, uh, you complete me, that was kind of a strange thing, especially if you didn't know the person and you just said, you complete me. No, that's, 
But that's, that's, that was the three words. So let me ask you this question. Can one person really complete another? No, okay, there's, there's a half dozen of us that believe that. I'm going to have to work on the rest of you. Can one person really complete another? No, okay, that sounded a little better. You, you've given me a little more hope there, okay? Yeah. Can your marriage complete you? Can your children complete you? No. Can your friends, your church, your education, your career, can anything on this planet complete you? Because this is how it works in our lives. We think wrongly. We might not use that language, but we're looking at something. Maybe it's a career or it's amount of money or it's an acquisition of something or an accomplishment. We say, if I can do that, then I know my life will have meaning, hope, and happiness. I will have a sense of justification for my life, and it's something that's in creation rather than the Creator. And believe me, that will not, there is nothing in creation that can complete you like the Creator can. And, and what happens too often is that we enter into relationships thinking that, you know, if you enter into a relationship thinking that they are your soulmate, it's just a matter of time, they will become your cellmate, Okay. You will be enslaved in that relationship. Why? Because you are trying to get from them what you should be getting from Christ. I nearly wrecked my marriage because of that. I was looking to my wife to get from her what I should be getting from, from Christ. And so what happens is that you will crush the relationship under the weight of your unrealistic expectations. But I mean, not just the marriage relationship, but your job. If you're looking to your job to complete you, or if you're looking to your children or your church or your friends or any number of things, you will, you will crush all of that under the weight of your unrealistic expectations. God never intended for you to get your completeness from anything in creation, only from Him, the Creator. And then you'll be able to respond to all of that more appropriately. That's part of the inner life. That's what we have to work on. What is God's solution to this? When He, when he, says, when he says, persecuted but not forsaken, why are we not forsaken? It's the next fill-in-the-blank on your notes. Here's the solution. God's presence God's presence. This is my favorite part of being a Christian, the presence of God. <laughs> we have the presence of God. You know what Nancy and I were doing in the last two months? We were practicing the presence of God. We were basking in the reality of the presence of God. We were drawing near to the presence of God. We were desperate for the presence of God. We needed him more than ever before. Now listen to this illustration. This is from the Apostle Paul. He's reached the end of his life. He's about to be executed. And I think he's written a lot of scripture. He wrote much of the scripture, a lot of letters to churches. So he had planted a lot of churches. He had accumulated a lot of friends. He had raised up a lot of leaders. So he hits the end of his life. He's in prison, about ready to be executed. This is at the very end of his life. And this is what he says in 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 17. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. That's hard. That's devastating. Do you think that he was bitter? No, no, he's on the high road. Listen to what he says next. 
may it not be charged against them, exclamation mark. But notice how he continues on. This is good. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The presence of God. Do you know the presence of God to the degree that all your friends betray you, people slander you, people come against you, people attack you, and yet you can say, may it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. Wow. That's good. God's presence is life's most satisfying reality. So you got the pressures of life, perplexities of life, people of life, and then you got the problems, problems of life. This can make an impact on you spiritually. It says in verse 9b, struck down but not destroyed. You can have divorce and disease and death and loss of job and physical disabilities, and they can strike you down. They can knock you down, but you are not knocked out is what he's saying here. You're not destroyed. Why? Because you have God's peace. This is what God has for us. God's peace. Isaiah 26, 3 through 4. These are part of uh, our arsenal of, of soul care verses. I meditated on this verse many times throughout the last couple of months. You keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. So you notice the correlation between perfect peace, trust in God, but also trust in God correlated to my mind set, fixed on him. What dominates my thoughts is him who he is, what he's done for me, who I am in light of that. That's trusting God. That trusting God brings perfect peace is what he's saying. He goes on in verse 4, Isaiah 26, 4, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So the word peace here means confidence and rest in God's loving, wise control of my life. Confidence and rest in God's loving, wise control of my life. God, I know... I know you got my life in your hands. You're going to take care of me. You're going to see me through this. So how do we know this is true, and how can we experience God's power, p- purpose, presence, and peace in, in suffering, in the suffering of life? Well, we go now to the healing of the inner life. By the way, this is kind of uh, just, to, just to let you know that... Uh, <clears throat> This kind of does away with those 30-minute messages right at this point in, in, the, in the sermon because I've, uh, that's what you get for me going away for two months. And this is way beyond 30 minutes, I think, about now. I was looking at the clock, and I go, oh, my goodness. So uh, you guys okay with that? Okay. <laughs> that's what you guys get for letting me go away for two months, okay? So there, there you go. Even if I tried, I couldn't hit 30 minutes for a message, okay? I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Okay. That's good. There's, there's two of us right now, okay? <laughs> I think the rest of you are right there with us. But uh, we'll be over uh, in another hour. But uh, <laughs> we'll be serving uh, lunch here in just a minute. But, uh, but let's, let's focus on this, the healing of the inner life. He, he tells us what the answer to that is in verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our, in our bodies. What in the world is he talking about there? It almost seems weird, doesn't it? What does that mean? This is the greatest truth you'll ever know. 
If you want to deal with brokenness, you need to know this truth. And it's um, this greatest truth is really the gospel. He's actually showing us the gospel as he's living out the gospel in his life. You see, the essence of being a Christian is not emulating Christ or listening to Christ or obeying Christ or loving Christ, though all of these things would be true of a Christian. But here it is, the heart of the gospel. It's your next, next on your notes, next thought. The heart of the gospel, the essence of the Christian life, is that by grace through faith in Christ, everything that is true of Christ is legally and objectively true of you. Everything that is true of Christ is legally and objectively true of you. So uh, Romans 5.10 kind of helps us to understand that. So this is what he says. Here's another one of those great memory verses. For if, for if, we were, if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So think about this. While we were sinners, didn't want to have anything to do with God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So what is that, how does that relate to that verse? Always carrying around in, the body of, in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. This is what he's doing. Every day I carry around with me in my body how I live out of my life, the reality of the fact that I have been reconciled to God once and for all through the death of his son. But I'm also carrying around in the body the very life of Jesus. His life gives me life to face anything. That's what he's saying. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. It's not just a a concept. I'm living this out in my life. Body meaning just this vehicle that I'm living in. He's with me. He's for me. He loves me. Saved by his life is what he says. We shall be saved by his life. Romans 5.10. Yes, 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 we have his power, purpose, presence, and peace in suffering. But how do we experience it? Here's how you experience it. You're saved by his life, but you must make Christ your life. You must make him your life. Carrying around in the body the death of Jesus so so that the life of Jesus may be fully manifested through my life. I'm making him my life is what he's saying. He's my life. You must make, you must not make anything other than Christ your life is what, what, you, what we need to do. Now, let me give you a diagnostic question. What people, things, or circumstances in your life, if you were to lose them, would make you feel that your life is over? Every one of us has something in our life that if we were to lose it, It would make us feel that our life is over, that we had lost all meaning, hope, and happiness in our life. You really don't know if Christ is truly your life until you go through suffering and adversity and hardship, until you hit rock bottom. By the way, by the way, you will eventually hit rock bottom. Everyone will. How many would say when you look back in your life, there there was maybe a time or two, then you hit rock bottom. Show of hands, show of hands. Yeah. That's part of life. You will hit rock bottom. I 
And you don't really know if Christ is truly your life until you truly hit rock bottom. Here's how I, I know if something has become my life or important to me more than Christ. And this is what my wife and I were kind of grappling with while we were away. And it was really helpful for us as we worked through this. How do I know if something has become my life or more important to me than Christ? I feel crushed, driven to despair, forsaken, or, and destroyed. Wait, wait, wait. He says that we won't feel these things. But if I feel those things, what is it telling me? It's telling me that something has become more important to me in my life than Christ. You guys tracking with me? This is really important to understand. Or another way of putting it, I feel, I feel inordinate and inconsolable anxiety, anger, and sadness. Now, to a certain degree, because we're emotional beings, that you should experience anxiety, anger, and sadness. But when it becomes inordinate and inconsolable, that means that something in your life has become more important to you than Christ. Our tendency is to become one-dimensional, as I stated in, in our healing. We look at our emotional or psychological or social or spiritual or, or physiological, and all of those are important, but we've got to go deeper than that. And here's where we've got to go deeper if we're going to really find healing to the brokenness of our lives. When you begin to experience inordinate emotions, when you feel crushed, driven to despair, forsaken, and destroyed, you must ask yourself this question. What am I losing right now that he's become my life more than Christ? Whatever it is, it is having this negative effect on my life because it has become my meaning, hope, and happiness more than Christ. I'm being controlled by it. Now, if this never happened to you, you don't even know what I'm talking about here, but this is where brokenness, where you begin to see your brokenness more clearly and you can begin to respond through that high road so that you can have healing in your heart. You and I must identify whatever it is and replace it with Christ. Now, this last year was the apex of brokenness for Nancy and I. I thought I had hit rock bottom in my life, but I found a whole new rock bottom this last year, believe me. We were both overwhelmed with inordinate and inconsolable thoughts and emotions. Which, by the way, we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks to processing that and looking at that in more detail to find out what, what is that telling me about my soul. Here's what we were overwhelmed with. We were thinking of the 30 years of blood, sweat, and tears that we'd put into this church. The 30 years of blood, sweat, and tears into Desert Breeze could be wiped out overnight. Bam, just like that. I, I personally, and I think she struggled with this too, but I personally struggled with the thought that if I, had, if I had been a better pastor or leader, we would have never had to go through this. That was a lot of guilt and shame that I had to work through. And then we both struggled with the fact that, and this was, this was kind of the guilt and shame, is that feeling we had abandoned our church family by going on a sabbatical while the elders in our church family had to deal with the mess. Though it was advised, it was hard, but we were advised by the consultant and also the elders that we needed to get away. 
And see, I've never done that before because any problems that we've ever had, I've taken the helm and we've rode out the storm. And that was so, so hard for us. And I was thinking, you know, yeah, my wife, because he was wanting me to do it for, primarily for my wife. My wife was having anxiety issues and anxiety attacks unlike she's ever, she never had that before. It was overwhelming. So I said, okay, yeah, I'll do it for my wife, only to realize, no, I'm doing it for me too, because I was a wreck too. Finally, when I got away from all the craziness, I felt, really realized, oh my goodness, I'm just as broken up as you are, and there's some stuff I need to work on. Because I have these inordinate anxiety and anger and depression that's overwhelming me right now. This is overwhelming me. It was hard. It was difficult. But I got to tell you this, the Lord met us. <laughs> he met us on our sabbatical in a small town diner in North Carolina eating comfort food, okay? It was meant to be kind of a little bit of humor there because that's where we were. We actually went away to a place called Solitude Place. Some of you know the Southwicks who have started that ministry. Some of you here support that ministry. And we got away. It's a great ministry, isn't it? Yeah. We got away and we met with our Savior and he met with us and he continued the healing process in our lives. And this is some of the stuff we were grappling with. And like I said, in the coming weeks, we'll share with you more of the healing and the hope, and yes, even the happiness that he's restoring to our lives and our hope for the future here, here at Desert Breeze. And God reminded us that he is loving, wise, and in control when life seems out of, out of control, and that he is our Lord when life is beyond our control. That he's our life and he's our Lord. He's our life. Not this church, not my reputation, not the way people may treat us. That's not our life. He's our life. So here's the point. You and I must say to those people things and circumstances that are controlling us, causing all those inordinate anxiety, anger, depression, inconsolable, all of that, we must say, you are not my life. Christ is my life. So husbands, when your wife just really gets the best of you, you stand strong and say, you are not my life, Christ is my life. You better do that under your breath though, okay? <laughs> or you're gonna be sleeping on the couch for a couple weeks. No, no, when life is getting the best of you, when church is getting the best of you, when people are getting the best of you, when your children are getting the best of you, when your job is getting the best of you, You've got to look at it and say, you are not my life. Christ is my life. I live for his glory. Only he can satisfy me. Only he can complete me. That's what we have to do. That's where you're really doing that deep work in your soul. Here's your next thought. What is true of Jesus is true of you objectively and legally, but it also, but must also be true of you subjectively and experientially. For it, to be, for it to make you whole. So you, you, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also, Matthew 5.21. So as Nancy and I have dealt with the sins we've committed and sins committed against us, the sin and suffering in our lives, our Savior met with us in truly a supernatural way and began to heal us. So we've come back 
as God heals us, we want him to heal you guys. We want you to be healed up. And this is what we're convinced of. There's a promise found in Psalm 147, 3 through 4, another part of this arsenal of soul care verses. Here's what it says. This is our promise. We're heading into 2021. The one who names and numbers the stars can heal your broken heart and bind up your wounds. <laughs> that's our King. That's our God. That's our Savior. That's our Lord. And so how do you know that you're getting healing and it's taking place? Well, this is how my wife and I have been able to see that we're getting healing is that our capacity for our love for God has been increasing, our love for each other. I mean, this is not, this is just caused us to dr drive our hearts deeper into the love of Christ, into the love of one another. We've never been more in love with each other than what we've been through. It's drawn us closer together, and then it's increased our capacity to love you guys even that much more, that much more. And that's how you know you're on track, that God's bringing healing and you're experiencing wholeness. Here's the last, last point here. To the degree that Christ becomes more beautiful to your imagination, more desirable to your heart than anything else in life is to the degree you will become whole in this broken world. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it is in the beholding of his glory, it's in the treasuring of him that we become whole. So next week, I mean, this is just the beginning of this series. We've got three more weeks. And so we're, next week we're going to look at truth, how to deal with those negative thoughts and emotions. And if you want to read the text ahead, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. If you are new here this morning, we are delighted you're here. My wife and I will be up front at the end of the service. We'd love to meet you. If you need prayer for any particular reason, we'll be up here to pray with you. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. So, Father God, we are filled with gratitude that we have this treasure, this treasure in jars of clay, and we have your power, your purpose, your presence, your peace, so that when we are afflicted in every way, we are not crushed. When we are perplexed, we're not driven to despair. When we're persecuted, we're not forsaken. When we're struck down, we're not destroyed. All because of what is true of Jesus is true of us by grace through faith in him. So when our hearts are torn, teach us how to praise you in the storm to identify those things that are controlling us and replacing them with Christ as our life as we press on to the great things you have in store for us in 2021. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Love you guys. God bless you. God bless you.